listener, and welcome to the ninth episode of the Metacast Crypto Corners. I'm your host, Nicola Vreke, or Nico for short, and today I'm joined by Joost, the Joosterizer van Drunen. We have Chong C.A. An and Miko, Miko Bits of Matsumura. And if you've listened to the Metacast, you'll know that if there's one thing we love, it is predictions. Because who cares when you're talking about the past, when you can look into the future and share your spicy takes. And fun thing is that predictions can also be proven wrong, which allows you to learn from your mistakes and adjust your worldview accordingly. So in this episode, we're looking forward to the year to come and sharing our thoughts on how specifically the blockchain gaming space will evolve during 2022. My plan is to discuss regulation, the AAA gaming publishers, the next generation of blockchain games, celebrities and brands getting involved and whatever more is on the mind of my three friends that I have gathered here. But before we dive in, let's get to know each other first. Um, all of three of you have been on the pod, but maybe you can share a bit more about yourself. And I'm going to go in the order that I see on my screen. So, CA, you can you can bite the bullet. Sure, sure. Thanks, Nico. Yeah, so my name's Chong On. I'm currently the VP of product over at Mythical Games. Um, you know, we're a platform technology company focused on developing, uh, you know, blockchain-enabled NFT games uh, for uh, Web3. Uh, and it's been a really fun journey so far, learning a ton. Um, and just been uh, just really fascinated by the space, having spent a conser- considerable amount of time in traditional and free-to-play gaming. Uh, coming over to the Web3 side has been just really invigorating. Uh, and I can't wait to show uh, the, the general public what we're working on in the very near future. Man, you're always saying that. You're always saying, oh, I wish I could talk about this. And then just leaving uh, us hanging. <laughs> I uh. promise you, we will, you won't be in suspense much longer. All right, I'm counting yeah. on it. Right. <laughs> Welcome, man. Okay, then next we have uh, Miko. Yes, hi. Uh, my name is Miko, and uh, I'm a general partner with Gumi Cryptos Capital. And uh, we are, uh, I guess, we led the uh, strategic seed round in OpenSea, which uh, apparently is a, uh, I guess, a dodecacorn or so, some kind of a thing like that. Uh, you know, and, and then nice. uh, also uh, Yield Guild. So I'm wearing my swag. Uh, Santa was nice. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as well as uh, an up, upstart called uh, Dehorizon Games. That's our first kind of game title or studio investment. So, you know, so we're, we're generally like a seed stage investor. And, you know, we just look for really promising things. Uh, the Gumi Corporation, where Gumi gets his name, is actually a OG mobile game studio in Japan that went public in 2014. So, you know, we, we do have a gaming background uh you know and and my partner is a pretty og in the game world so i think i think that's that's our game cred and you know we we definitely uh love the space um we're um the fund is obviously pure play blockchain so uh you know that's the i probably represent more of the blockchain side of blockchain gaming than the game side uh definitely uh these guys are gamer ogs cool all right welcome and then super Yost. Morning. So um, today from Brooklyn. So the podcast itself, I always find super valuable. So I'm always happy to uh, participate and kind of throw my two cents into the mix. Uh, and I, I love uh, the other two guests today too. I think it's um, it's exactly the kind of thing where uh, I tend to uh, learn a lot uh, from listening. Uh, the thing that I do know is, um, I guess I'm a recovering ac- academic. Um, so I teach at the uh, NYU. Uh, Stern School of Business. Uh, I teach on the business of video games, which I've always found interesting in the sense that it's uh, this interaction between commerce 
and creativity. Like, how do you make something creative? How, you know, how does an, an artful industry uh, also pay its rent? And how does that sort of oscillate between each other? And then I am uh, also somewhat of an entrepreneur, I guess. I started and sold Superdata, uh, which is really focused on data analytics. And it's, it's sort of a, uh, for, say, a for-profit way of separating uh, business from bullshit. Uh, so I've, you know, you, you know how that goes. Like you've been to all the panels, you've been to all the conferences, and it's. But it's fascinating. What motivates me always is the people in the industry, and so the games industry for me then is uh, not just a cool place to hang out with some really interesting folks, but it's also a sort of jump-off point to all kinds of new and innovative consumer behavior, new uh, businesses. I think uh, crypto and blockchain is exactly the kind of uh, you know novelty that uh, works really well with both the supply and demand side of the games industry. And I, I, I look forward to digging into that a little bit today as we look into uh, 2022. So thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. Hey, my pleasure. And talking about the demand side of the gaming industry and blockchain, um, not a hundred percent sure that those go so well together. I mean, uh, seeing the response from the gamers to what Ubisoft and Square Enix and, and these types of games that, but uh, yeah, we, uh, we've, I think when we're recording this, like next week, we'll, we have a, a panel discussion on that as well, um, where we dive a little bit more into, you know, what's up with the gamers? They're supposed to like this stuff, but uh, yeah, let's let's um, st stay on topic here. Predictions for 2022, and I'd like to start off, and this might be boring for some of you, but it's I think important, especially for people who are actually building blockchain games, and that is regulations. Um, CA uh, in our last podcast we did together, you already alluded to the fact that you expect those to come. Um, Will 2022 be the year where regulators will clamp down on blockchain games? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a really interesting topic. Um, I mean, I think in 2021 alone, there were, you know, uh, several dozen, I think, bills that were passed specific to crypto and blockchain. Um, I think a lot of it is just because it's moving so fast. There's a lot of different things happening. Uh, there's conversations around you know, policymakers thinking about how does, you know, uh, cryptocurrencies affect, let's say, the U.S. dollar's position. Uh, and I'm sure other countries are thinking about that, you know, to some degree as well, right? Um, so I think, you know, it. I, my prediction is in 2022, it will go from like this high level, um, you know, kind of regulation or I guess directional uh, conversations that's been happening from our legislatures to something a lot more specific. And I think 2022 is the year that that's going mm. to happen. Um, again, that's just my own prediction. I'm not a legal expert. Do your own research. Um, but yeah, ultimately, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, with the SEC, you know, getting involved, you know, and just really thinking about, you know, how do you leverage blockchain technologies? How do you do things? Let's say, for example, staking, you know, creating yields. How do you do that from a gaming perspective? Uh, and then, you know, allow that to happen to the, the the players, the users that are within that ecosystem, and then being able to filter that out. I think that is going to be a area of uh, concern, you know, for the various governments, particularly here in the U.S. And so for gaming studios that might be based here, particularly in North America, um, and you have those mechanisms or those systems designs in place, well, what does that mean ultimately for the type of product that you're developing, right? So I think that's in 2022, I think that's going to be very important. But also, if you look globally, um, like I think recently, uh, South Korea, you know, the birthplace of like free-to-play games. I mean, look at what they came up with, right? Like they specifically went to Apple and Google and asked them to delist, you know, any play-to-earn type of products that are on those app stores because of certain regulations that they have in those countries. And so, 
again, at a, at a macro level, I feel like certain governments are paying a lot of attention to what's happening in that space. And, you know, they're trying to figure out what's like that balance between having creativity, innovation, gaming, uh, but do it in a way where, you know, again, it doesn't create, uh, I guess, a bit of havoc to established, you know, industries that are already out there. Yost, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts? So the, um, I think the, the, Another way to look at that, right? And I think I think CA is, is, is spot on in that uh, you know South Korea is is historically this innovative place, and and even they go, it's like, eh, not so sure about this. Um, I think perhaps the conversation in, in North America will be more around uh, you know the big tech platforms uh, in the in that. So there is a broader culture right now around um, you know who's in charge, and you see that with uh, you know Facebook, for instance, and all of its criticism over the last year, year and a half. Uh, and it's sort of like quick rebranding into Meta. Uh, I think Apple has, of course, probably no now at three trillion dollars has a lot to say about what the industry will look like. Uh, and so, if it decides to come up with Apple Coin tomorrow, that will radically change uh, everybody's perspective on this. And so, will they? And will the government have something to say about it? And the FTC, for instance, the Federal Trade Committee, now under uh, leadership of uh, Lena Khan, who is very um, skeptical of large big tech, uh, you know, multi-platform kind of companies, multi-sided platform companies. What they end up doing is take a very um, sort of, uh, I guess, skeptical approach to it. They're not really sold on the merits of this right away. You know, that these large companies are capable of creating all this uh, uh, beneficial uh, set of services and experiences for consumers per se. And so I think that that's going to be a much harder sell uh, here too, like it is in South Korea. Uh, and I think that that's going to be a bit of an uphill road, right? I think one precursor uh, from the games industry was for instant loot boxes, or as EA so uh, eloquently put it, the surprise mechanics. N- nobody was fooled by that and nobody was interested in it. And so I think if, if we continue to go down a road, and I think it's a little bit of the same vein as to why we see so much criticism also from the demand side, from the consumer side, uh, you know, if that's... If that's the big thing, if, if if that's the main theme around blockchain gaming, then I think it's going to be an uphill road and it's going to be really easy for regulators to grab it and say, we're not doing that, not in my state, blah, blah, blah. You know, so it's going to be sort of like um, in the same way that we saw games and violence uh, come to the foreground and be sort of this negative thing. I think there's a lot to do here that's very positive and, and potentially very good and interesting and uh, and. Um, uh, I say creates a lot of uh, equity for everyone, but at the same time, like regulators will initially look at this with uh, a lot of skepticism. Mm-hmm. And how do you, because one way of looking at this is as, as a regulator, like, okay, you have this company building this type of game, this blockchain game, and then I'm going to try and regulate that. How do you guys think about um, players, right? Right now there are thousands of individuals making money, right? playing games on the internet and like i think this is this is not going going away right people are are more and more going to be generating money by you know um yeah just just doing stuff online in web3 um how do you think they will rea- react to that miko do you have any thoughts on that uh what I, let me let me jump in so uh, you know i would say the only real impact broadly is that largely regulators almost all of them look at the protection of the individual as sort of the prime, uh, you know, so for, for me, the impact will largely be through things like taxation. 
right? So I, I think that's the regulator. So in the U.S., the IRS is the regulator to watch with respect to impact to mm-hmm. end users. Uh, you know, I think everyone else, uh, you know, I think I want to springboard off of what CA was saying, actually, which is uh, everyone watches the SEC because they're the guy up on the barn with the the sharpshooter who's like, Plinking, you know, so you know, so everyone is afraid of being shot, you know, from the top of the barn, right? But like, the, I think the reality in the upcoming year is that you know Senator Loomis actually has legislation that's specifically you know uh, protective of Bitcoin, but also addresses digital assets broadly, right? So I think that's one to watch. I think the other regulator to watch that's really existential is going to be uh, FATF, so um, Financial Action Task Force, uh, you know, and I think. They're doing stuff in Estonia right now that I think is potentially pretty menacing around the AML agenda. So I think that's that's one that's going to come to a head this year is is the AML agenda, which means anonymity is going to be uh, potentially compromised. So you know I think that's that's and that's a fight to the death for both sides. So I think that that one's going to be really interesting to watch. But you know I, I I'm not a big regulatory guy, so you know I, I, that's about all I I'll probably say. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and, you know, in general, do you think this will have any effect on what we'll see in, in like from the, the the type of blockchain games or the quality of blockchain games coming out? Can we expect to see some, you know, companies redomiciling to, you know, more advantageous states, you know, within the US or even go abroad to Estonia or, or any of these companies? What do you what do you think, Cassia? Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting, right? Because the the net seems to be converging a little bit, right? Like Estonia defensively said that they weren't going to ban crypto, but they did say that like they're going to comply with FATF stuff. So like, you know, the thing that becomes complicated is, is if your blockchain game has to support KYC, uh, you know, it, it starts to put a damper on on people having fun there, mm-hmm. you know, to some extent. So I, I, I would say like regulatory domicile will increasingly become important from the provider side. But, you know, I think there will continue to be uh, evasive domiciles. So, you know, I don't think it'll damp the industry much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you have uh, fully on-chain games built by a bunch of pseudonymous people. You don't even know where they live, who they are. Um, yeah, that's going to be very interesting. Well, let me let me jump in there real quick, though. So historically, I mean, so at the end of the day, it's like games still have to be fun, right? And so we've seen... Uh, in decades before where you would have casual game makers outsource a lot of the the, the, the work really uh, to like lower wage countries and that never necessarily meant that oh therefore they're all going to be set up there right it's it really took a while uh, or mobile gaming for instance for china to become as big as it was china for a long time was a place where you would send production work that you know, would just be cheaper to do it over there than it would be in north america or in Europe. And so uh, I think over the very long, slow period of time did that change. But so what you see historically in creative industries is that they're sort of culturally contextual in that England, for instance, is this uh, uh, sort of this indie country, right? So you have these bedroom coders, they call them, uh, where people would sit in their bedroom and make stuff and then distribute it. But most of the of the value capture created in England is, is, is done by North American companies. And so you still have, in other words, these gravity points around the world where you have legacy companies, incumbents, that even though they might outsource or maybe there's other forces out there that somehow manage to you know, create things that people want to play, 
um, the, you're still sort of stuck with the, the bottleneck of talent. Like, where is that going to come from? I think the Nordics and mobile gaming is another example. So that's something that was totally missed by North American firms. But then Finland, of course, really takes the cake uh, when it comes to being successful on mobile. So I think it's, poss- it's likely that there's going to be sort of these new pockets of creativity uh, popping up all over the world. And of course, blockchain uh, facilitates that really well. At the same time, you know, you still need graduate programs. You still need people that, uh, you know, can all work in that industry and 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 build off each other's skill sets to really create something that's fun for people to play. So, so you're not entirely. So that's not going to change necessarily, right? Even though we, on paper, we can build anything mm-hmm. anywhere now. All right. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's let's um, let's hop on to our our next topic. So. Uh, Kind of, kind of in lines, and I've alluded to this earlier as well. Um, in the past months, we've seen big AAA publishers dip their toes for the first time into, you know, blockchain gaming. Um, I don't know if you would call it successful or not, but uh, at least there was was a lot of um, uh, noise around that. Um, and I'm, I'm just very curious to get get your thoughts on, you know, uh, CA. You worked at a bunch of these companies. What is happening um, inside the <laughs> the management, the rooms, the executives? What, what are they talking about when they see the reaction to what Ubisoft did, for example? Um, uh, how are they looking at it, and what can we expect in the next year? You know, like the the product that Ubisoft rolled out with, I believe it was Ghost Recon, right? That they were going to do, mm-hmm. you know, their whole, you know, you know, token economy around, and you know, NFTs. Um, I mean, there's a bunch of really smart, creative people, you know, over at Ubisoft working on these things. And Ghost, Ghost Recon's a very, you know, old franchise, right? Like they've been iterating on that for a long time. The reaction that I saw from that community was, I was actually a bit taken aback by that by that visceral reaction. Because I would imagine someone on that team or many members of that team were speaking to their community leaders, you know, to their player base and so on and so forth. They must have had a read on it. I can't imagine them rolling out a large strategy like that because even after the release and the negative press, they're still marching forward with this strategy, right? So there Mm -hmm. had to have been a lot of due diligence on their end before they fully committed and released. At least I'm I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. But the reaction that came thereafter, that one was really interesting. So um, I don't know. Is that is that is that a fluke? Is that because of marketing messaging, the way that they, you know, I don't know, roll that out to the community. I'm not 100% sure why the reaction was so negative because I think you alluded to this earlier. These are things that that ultimately, what is it, players would want, right? Like, I want to be able to own a thing and it's mine now and I can now, you know, take that and, you know, use it and sell it or trade it. You would think that it's a benefit. And so to mm-hmm. me, when I see a reaction like that, it almost makes me wonder, you know, was there a um, miscommunication and, you know, misalignment of incentives? Did the community not really understand what's happening here? Or is it just that maybe that audience just doesn't want it? I'm not 100% sure. Like, I've been talking about it internally myself with, you know, colleagues here at Mythical and other colleagues in the industry. Um, but yeah, that it was definitely not what I would consider a success. But I can see why they start, they stayed on the path, right? Because they must have done mm-hmm. all their due diligence to figure out this is a path forward. And with a bunch of other studios that are in the mix as well that I'm sure, you know, Miko and, you know, uh, Yost will also mention, like, you know, there's a lot more AAA, you know, traditional AAA studios coming into the fold, um, particularly like Square Enix, right? With the way, I mean, look at the announcement that they made. I mean, that was an incredible statement by their CEO. 
Uh, he went into elaborate detail about why he thinks it's powerful. He talks about decentralized gaming. And he also talks about lining up incentives so that it's powerful for you know, the players and the users that are coming in mm-hmm. and being able to be part of that, part of that journey. Um, and I think it's just the tip of the spear. I think we're going to see more and more AAA studios taking the plunge um, and at least at very minimum experimenting to see like what they can do and definitely get a better read on their community, their player base and what they're looking for, right? So that they can avoid some of the, not mistakes, but some of the you know faux pas that's happened already with some of their counterparts, right? So we should all be thanking Ubisoft, you know, using, their, using them as a case study on what maybe what not to do or to do, I don't know, but yeah. Hopefully uh, they'll experiment with different marketing messages. Like, how do we sell this? You know, that's, we believe it's good for you as a player, um, but how can we make you believe this as well? Um, and so, um, Miko, maybe you can, you can give your thoughts on this. Yeah, I have, I, I have a hot take on this. And my hot take is this, right? Which is that when you look online at reactions, like I think very hyper reactions are the ones that get uh, amplified. So I think there is a histrionic kind of echo chamber effect in social media. So I think, you know, the thing that I think is interesting to note is that the people who are the most anti are probably the ones getting the most amplification, right? But I don't think that's the sole element of rejection. I think there's genuine rejection. And to me, the thing that I think is important about this is, is if you reason about this, it really relates in my mind to kind of this idea of heaven and earth. Right. And it's sort of the rise of the metaversal, which is basically the digital rising above the physical. Right. And the thing that I think people are aware of in gaming quite a bit is that the physical is subject to constraint. It's subject to entropy, lack of energy, uh, physics of gravity, uh, the existence of friction. Right. So the real world, uh, you know, is subject to a bunch of constraints that the game world has never been subject to. Right. So in a sense, like the game world has been about play and about playing with constraints, but also about freedom and a form of fantasy, right? And so to me, the idea that this kind of constraint of money will enter into this land that may be pure, right? And and maybe pure fantasy or maybe not subject to the laws of physics. So the idea that the laws of economics will sort of penetrate this realm that is sort of seen as a pure haven of enjoyment, right? So in a sense, like I think there is this kind of terrible fear that it's going to kind of spoil everything, you know, and and that, you know, people will become greedy and they'll start behaving in ways that are sort of like, you know, so so in a way it's sort of has a dirty feeling. So I, I think I think there's definitely going to be a lot of rage against that sort of machine, you know, and the sort of dark influences of money. So that that's kind of my hot take. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That that's really interesting, uh, you know, Miko. I, that's that's a really interesting take on it. Um, I I, I, I want to offer like a counterpoint to that because if you take a look at you know free to play games in general, regardless of mobile, you know, traditional console platform, PC, wouldn't you say that's already like embedded? you know, into the fabric of the the kind of play and behavior that users are expecting because money is involved, right? Uh, economics are already involved, particularly in live service products. Um, this obviously with blockchain and NFTs takes it to another level. Um, but I would argue that that's already been there. And maybe there's other reasons as well on why, you know, at least for the Ghost Recon project, it was so 
um, you know, rejected in the way that it was. Because I, I feel like we've been on that path, getting closer and closer to tying monetary, economic, and you know, player output all together. Um, and it's 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 been going on for well over a decade at this point. And so it just makes me wonder, like, could there be something else below the surface, even beyond what you've described, um, that might be the reason why they're, you know, the, that that particular community rejected it so outright. Um, anyways, I, it's just a commentary on what you said, because I, I do agree with what you're saying, but I feel like like players have been trained to expect this type of, you know, uh, I don't know, outcome, you know, from the publishers and developers. This is just another, you know, piece of that. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. that makes sense, yeah. Um, I've I've made like um, you know in in the in the uh, questions I, I sent you, I described you know three different tiers of approaches from these AAA developers. One is um, like the pro- d- different ways of approaching NFTs in games. And first one is purely cosmetic, right? It's a bit what Ubisoft did. Is, did. It is you know we give you something that you can use in game, but it does no effect on on the game whatsoever. And then the next tier would be NFTs with slightly more utility, um, where you could I don't know have a certain I don't know gun or something that you can you can earn or you can maybe have characters that level up um, stuff like that and then you know the third tier is games that are fully designed around NFTs um, and and for that we don't have a lot of examples yet I, I can look at like a wolf game style game uh, but I guess Axie might also fall underneath that um, and so my question is my question is um, how do you see the AAA studios look at these tiers and how do you see them approach it? And, you know, if, if they go from tier one to tier three in, in that order, where do we get by the end of 2022? Uh, Jos, what, what do you think? It's a, it's a good question. So the, so I, I commend Ubisoft just, just off the bat, like I commend them for trying mm-hmm. and, and Ubisoft, mm. you know, of course, historically is the kind of company that the way I think about it, ever since they got out of this like terrible relationship with Vivendi, They've just been dating anybody, you know. They were in this abusive marriage, and now suddenly they're like just—they're just like <laughs> and you see them front row with like the Stadia announcement a few years ago, and it's like they'll try anything. Which I, you know, hmm. you could argue from an investment perspective uh, if that's a good idea. Uh, you're kind of chasing all the opportunities, but if nothing else, like it gives us some precursors of like, okay, so here's this. It gives us a sense of temperature, right? As I mentioned, and it's so for that matter, um, you know, I, the way I would phrase all this is to say, is this going to be disruptive or just accretive for these companies, right? And and I don't just mean the publicly traded ones, just the large companies. You see Zynga now hiring um, uh, Matt Wolf, uh, former from Coca Cola, you know, like, and, and he has a history in crypto. Mm-hmm. So you see them attract and employ real talent to start building these divisions. Are they going to be really steering the tanker in a different direction, or is this some additive revenue stream? And f- from that angle, I think it's um, it's going to be a slow process. I think that it's, uh, to be honest, just like things like the metaverse. Right now, those are just buzzwords that you say to your shareholders to stay relevant. I don't think that there is a really like hammered out plan. Like this is this is sort of a general direction of like, oh, we should go over there, um, because no, I think mobile taught everybody. And I think we talked about this last time, but so mobile, and you probably Miko knows this best, but it's, it's the, you know, when the smartphone came out, nobody looked at mobile as a serious space. It was like a billion, maybe two, and everybody thought it was, was garbage. And then all of a sudden it was like 80 billion, right? And so f- for all those reasons, I think 
just like Facebook, uh, these large companies, they've realized that you can't sleep on new technologies. And so it's better to just say, we're into VR, we're into crypto, we're into whatever. So that shareholders think, okay, well, you're doing something. You hired a guy, right? And then if it doesn't amount to anything, well, that's just, you know, some salary and some investment money that you can write off anyways, versus you're the one company that missed out on crypto altogether, right? And so that risk is so much more expensive and so much greater. So for that reason, I think Ubisoft is perhaps a bit of a, an early adopter, but most of the, the, the visible companies that have sort of an obligation to speak to the market, public and private, Epic too, right, for that matter, they will have something to say about it. They will take a stance. And then it's just a matter of time to see how it plays out. But you know, everybody's just taking their positions on the mm-hmm. poker table. So that was a very long way of saying that they'll probably don't do anything super crazy or super innovative and probably like just touch it, at least initially, you know, very simply. It's not, it's not, it's not in their interest yeah. to run at this. I mean, so the logic of large publishers is, of course, centered around uh, the value mm-hmm. capture of IP. Right, and I, you know, everybody else in the call here, they they are building new things, and so that's a different. But like, a, let's say with Ubisoft, like, you stand to lose a lot if you're diluting your IP because that's the one thing that keeps the engine running. So, running at this rather than walking at it is mm-hmm. a bad idea. You do it slowly so that you don't lose. That Disney doesn't do that either, right? For that matter, or other. So no, I don't think they're going to be seeing a lot of huge innovations from the big guys just yet. It's really going to be innovator driven. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I don't know if you if you saw like the the kind of words that are being used by certain parties within the industry. I think Kotaku probably the worst here, um, where their first article was like uh, Ubisoft first AAA publisher to befoul games with NFTs, um, and there's a bunch of other companies that are just publicly stating like, okay, we're never touching NFTs, um, and just me as you know a crypto bro who you know believes in the technology and thinks this is. This is gonna here. This is gonna be here to stay. Um, just curious, what what do you guys think of how, how this is gonna play out? You know, these guys it, will it be like you know a console company that never touches free to play? Um, how do you see this play out, Miko? What do you think? I, I I'm definitely in the camp of Yost. Uh, like I, you know, I think that what is a sign of victory is that all of these majors are are sort of giving it lip service. But I think the guys that I'm watching are the barbarians at the gate, right? And the barbarians are coming. And, and you know, I, I did an angel investment into, so people say, oh, Axie is a really native blockchain game. But like Axie is barely scratching the surface, right? When you really think about what blockchain brings, it brings a history recording device, right? So the thing that I think it brings is it brings immortality and therefore kind of legendary status, right? So, uh, you know, I, I, I did a, a angel investment into a, a, basically a upstart that is looking at mechanics like permadeath and looking at mechanics like esports. And so there's definitely, the, you know, mass streaming opportunities. So like the idea of sort of immortality, of kind of becoming legendary, you know, like there are definitely kind of some amazing upstart mechanics so i think to me this the the barbarians are going to take this space and and you know i i think the the big uh, incumbents you know it's i think it's very nice that they're kind of saying nice things you know but like uh you know i don't i'm not watching them <laughs> that's fair um see your thoughts yeah um i think i largely agree with you know what the group says here um i i, I think it will be the innovators um it'll be the you know the the crypto you know uh you know native you know, studios um, that are going to 
you know, really try, innovate, and have that risk appetite in order to try innovative things. Uh, because, yeah, if you're a traditional studio, um, a lot of your business is revolving around centralized games across large IPs that they've built, you know, for decades. And so to jeopardize that to any degree, especially if you're a publicly traded company, I don't think it fits into the uh, risk-adjusted portfolio strategies that most of them have, right? But where I do see some glimmers of hope, <laughs> Miko's right, like there's a lot of studios out there that are saying really nice things, you know, and it kind of gives you that glimmer of hope. Um, but for some of them, like a Ubisoft, like a Square Enix, I think they've been trying to participate in different ways before they made these statements, right? So uh, if I recall correctly, like I think Square was one of the first investors into like the sandbox. Or um, I, I think Ubisoft invested into like Amioka and so on and so forth. So I think they were, you know, dipping their toes, you know, into the waters without necessarily, you know, affecting their business per se to try to learn about certain things. And now that we have, you know, like larger AAA studios like Square coming out and really, I, I don't know, I, I, th I think they've taken the most definitive stance, um, you know, going as far as saying we're going to have centralized gaming. It's not going to change. That's a core part of our business. But then we're also going to look at decentralized gaming. What does that mean? I don't think it's going to happen in 2022. Um, I think there is some hope there just because of uh, the, the kind of IPs that's under their belt. But yeah, I, I think the, the really great games that are going to usher in, you know, larger adoption and, you know, people can point to and say, oh, that's an amazing game leveraging all the benefits of blockchain and crypto and NFTs. It's going to come from studios that people have never heard about. Right, like you know, that the traditional mm -hmm. gamer has never heard about these studios, and we're gonna get that killer app that people are gonna point to, and be like, "Oh my gosh, that's awesome!" Right, because you know, historically, that's what hardware hardware from Nintendo, Microsoft, and Sony does. Right, they'll come up with the next generation console. They either do it, you know, first party, or they find a you know a, you know second party studio to you know develop some kind of game that really highlights the the power of that particular platform. I don't. I don't, I see this as being. It's not any different, and it's just more about who are those individuals. Maybe you know, there's a there's a bevy of them out there now, including Mythical, that we're trying to solve for that problem. And I think, yeah, they're going to be the ones to really set the stage. And then once a proven business model comes out that says, oh, you can attract users, you can you know create really interesting business models, then I think at that point, again a year, two, three years from now, maybe that's when we'll see like a real AAA publisher doing something like bespoke, you know, at the level that they do with centralized gaming that they have now. But 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 what I mm -hmm. but what I wanted to challenge though is I wanted to challenge this idea of AAA, right? Because the way you use the term AAA, right, is it, it it to me AAA is about quality, right? And it's kind of about money and it's kind of about IP. Right. So to me, I think what people will be shocked by is people will be shocked by how much money the upstarts have. Right. Like sure. I, you know, I'm in the venture capital industry and mm -hmm. the upstarts are going to be very well. Mythical is definitely like, you know, fairly well funded and probably will be even better funded. You know, so, so to me, I think the idea of a AAA will have to change because being well funded is no longer going to be like an advantage of the big studios. I I'd rather call them big, right? Because with AAA, I think people will be amazed at the quality of game that will come out of Upstarts, right? I think that they're going to be amazed also at the IP, right? Which is that, you know, if you look at like, 
you know, you look at something like Square Enix and you're like, oh, Final Fantasy, right? But like at one point in time, Final Fantasy wasn't anything, right? But to me, the thing that I think is interesting is with this wall of money coming out of VC, right? The quality of IP that's obtainable by upstarts. So I think you'll have ultra quality games coming from upstarts. You'll have a huge amount of economic power and venture capital in an upstart. And you'll have top grade IP coming out of an upstart. So how is that not AAA, right? Like you're going to have best IP, best graphics, best production, you know, and best talent with, with best funding. No, that's a great point. I, I, I totally spot on. I think that's a great point. Um, yeah, I, I guess when I think about AAA, uh, I'm thinking about, yeah, the traditional studios have built the franchise up over years, which then, you know, attracts, you know, users just because of it. Um, and you're right, like the, the landscape is quite different. Like, uh, you know, the, all the, the major, the key players that are in the space, they are probably the most well-capitalized, you know, startups. Uh, that, that we could think about, right? I mean, some of these studios are, you know, multi-time, like you said earlier, right? Like Deca Unicorn or whatever the case it may be. I mean, there are very well-capitalized studios out there. Um, and I think the ones, and we, we are kind of seeing this because this is also, I think, historically what tends to happen. You, I think early on in the cycle, you saw upstarts coming through, developing a product, and depending on what your success metric is and how you define AAA, but let's just purely look at it from like a retentive perspective. They, they were able to solve some of these problems without having the, you know, the graphical flourishes and fidelity and whatnot. But they were able to hold on to their players, engage them over long periods of time, setting new benchmarks. So from that perspective, I totally agree. Now you're starting to see, you know, quote unquote, AAA, you know, veterans from, you know, the, the traditional gaming side coming into the space, bringing all their knowledge and acumen, you know, and now they're also well capitalized to do a thing. Yeah, I, I think there is definitely, you know, a lot of runway for them to succeed in that way. Uh, so, yeah, th thanks for that. I, I, I really like that. It's a way to look at the prism a little bit differently. But I, I agree. I think there's going to be some really interesting original IP, you know, that will come out. And there's like a whole host of those games, I think, that are in some stage of development at this point. And yeah, those are the ones to keep an eye on. Cool. Um, before we continue, uh, a small break, and we're going to put in a bold prediction here in the middle, just because I feel like it and it fits within what we've just been talking about. So if you, I think few will uh, argue with me when I say that today, the most popular blockchain game is still Axie Infinity. My question to you guys is, what's the game, like what, what is going to be the most successful game in 12 months from now? Um, is it Axie Infinity? Is it going to be something completely else that's being built right now? And um, how many users will it have approximately, obviously? Um, it's knowing that, let's say, Axie Infinity currently has about 3 million, what number do you have in your head um, for the top blockchain game out there? Um, Yost, I'll, I'll let you go first. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, you know, I have some personal favorites uh, that I've been looking at, but... So I... I I have to be honest, I don't really have a title in mind like because it's it's so early on. It's, it's like basically trying to predict like Angry Birds before Apple launched a smartphone, right? Mm. Okay. So so Axiom sure will continue to do well because it just now has that name. Mm -hmm. And now from, from now on, every, you know, it's you, the highest level thing you could say about it is like, oh, it's sort of like Pokemon Go, but for blockchain. So, oh, and I get it now. And then from there on out, it's sort of, it's a self-propelling mm -hmm. uh, franchise. Um I so what I'll will give you is like I think what 
the measure of success will be will shift. So now we have three million for X Infinity. That's a that's a that's a really high benchmark. I think that's great. Uh, you know, the question for me then is like, will we get the thirty million by the end of next by the end of this year? Will we have will the top you know blockbuster game in in, in blockchain will have uh, thirty million or fifteen million players, monthly actives, daily actives? And I think that that's real measures. So I think what's going to happen is that the space is going to be very crowded very quickly because of all this cash that we just uh, were talking about. All this money is going to go towards development and user acquisition, you know, get your drop just to get the marketing buzz out there. Um, and very quickly, you're going to see, you know, I have some favorites like Kaizen, uh, you know, Startup, this is nice. But, you know, will they reach 10x what Axie has done? I don't know. I think it's going to be very scattered at first. And so um, I think the high bar for a successful game by the end of this year is going to be something between 20 and 30 million, which still makes it a medium successful game compared to mobile. So not, in other words, not all, that, not all that exciting just yet, right? Even though it's novel and innovative, um, that scale compared to what we currently already have um, and what's required to be successful in mobile, PC, and console uh, it's it's just kind of coming on par with those levels, but to give it a title, I would, that's that's totally that's totally random. I have no answer to that. And this is a slight segue, but um, at least for me, I think DAUs for a free-to-play com- company and DAUs for a blockchain game company is completely different because of the willingness to spend money. And the fact that people, I mean, if you look at the, the, the revenue numbers of Axie Infinity compared to like the average revenue, like the average revenue per user is in like, is, I don't know, I, I don't know, actually off the top of my head how much it is, but I think it's like a hundred dollars maybe, or even more. Um, so I don't know, it, it is, is, would you then still consider it a, like a mediumly successful company w- with like that perspective? Yeah, because I mean, look, you're still... See, for, for me, blockbuster success on the on the that's on par with other categories of entertainment like film and music. It's like it means that it has to be mainstream. Like if you're asking mm. people to spend four hundred bucks just to get into this game, uh, that's a that's a huge high bar, mm-hmm. and so therefore not mainstream, right? What made mobile successful was free to play. It wasn't a dollar ninety nine for Angry Birds the expansion or whatever. It was the free to play version of everything. And that's when you start talking about conversion and average revenue. Right now, you have an early adopter, very small group, high spending, very inelastic. They will, you know, they don't care. They're having a good time. But to get to like a hundred million players, like uh, League of Legends did, because that's a blockbuster game in that context. Mm-hmm. You know, most of them don't spend anything, and the average spending is much lower. But it's really about creating this massive community. And so, the the, the emphasis in blockchain gaming shouldn't necessarily be different in that uh, it's the the breadth and the depth of the community rather than the uh, spending of its initial users uh, that should be used as a metric in my mind. Okay. That's very fair. Miko, you're next. Yeah. I think the metrics game, uh, you know, really want to support what Nico is saying about the metrics, right? Which is, uh, you know, like picture, picture uh, yield guild games, YGG, right? Mm-hmm. So at the end of the year, they just announced their 10,000th scholarship. Right. So if you look at that and you're like 10,000 users, right, then you're scratching Mm -hmm. your head and you're like, that doesn't seem like a large number. But picture it the other way around. Picture this. Right. So Delphi Digital, you know, is creeping up to like 100 employees for like a hedge fund. Right. And so if you think about Mm -hmm. this as a hedge fund with 10,000 analysts, right, then you're actually talking about a pretty large 
hedge fund, you know, in, in this kind of NFT blockchain uh, space, right? And when you look at the investment patterns, they're actually leveraging player intelligence in the same way that you would leverage kind of hedge fund analysts, right? So I think the thing to look at, it really is in 2022, how does the blockchain gaming space really reconcile like the whales and the tails, right? So the thing that's astonishing about what YGG has done is that the whale end is really about running a hedge fund and making investment, right? That's the whale side of the business, right? And the tail side of the business is, you know, uh, largely in the Philippines and Indonesia and Latin America, you know, and so there's a huge tail end and there's a huge whale end, right? So to me, like this idea of a pattern of like leveraging the whale side and the tail side, I think becomes really interesting, but I do think the metrics change, right? And so I think, you know, next year at this time, we, we, you know, and which isn't to say that there won't be a 10 million user quote unquote blockchain game. I think there will be, so, you know, that, and, and it'll be hella fun. I don't know what the, <laughs> what the name of it is yet. Okay. But it's not going to be Axie? No. <laughs> yeah. See, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do. I'll piggyback off of that, too. I, I think the way that we look at metrics, there's going to be, I think, a new prism in which we look at, I think, standard, you know, free-to-play gaming metrics. Um, I think it's, there's going to be, as in all things, right? Like, there should be an evolution of it. Um, you know, when you went from, you know, traditional to mobile, and then to free to play, um, you know, there was a, you know, a lexicon that got developed around like what metrics need to be, you know, how they need to be measured and all of that stuff. And even just on the way that most blockchain games, you know, get enabled, you know, with pre-sales, uh, community formation, revenue, you know, generation, like all of that, there's a lot more, I think, metrics there that you have to take a look at. Um, but I mean, going back to your question uh, and, you know, I think I think Yost, you had it right. I I think that that range is probably correct. Um, I I I don't I don't expect in 2022 to see a product that's going to be you know rivaling I think the best you know in class that we see today like a League of Legends or something. But I think there will be several products that will attract a significant portion of players. Um, that's like yeah yeah beyond what I think Axie has done right because there's just I know personally a lot of developers that are trying to solve for that problem. And I think they all have a really good thesis on how to, you know, go about doing it. So I think that's really interesting. And then from a games perspective, I mean, you know, the one that comes top of mind for me is, uh, you know, everyone knows who the Board Ape Yacht Club is, right? Like those guys mm -hmm. signed the deal to do a game. I have no idea what said game is going to be, right? Or if it's even going to be able to, you know, I don't know, have any modicum of the DNA that made Board Ape Yacht Club, like interesting, but... The fact that they're going to go out and do that, it's one of the most coveted, you know, NFTs out there. It has like such a fierce, you know, community following. I think just that alone, kind of like to what Miko was saying a little bit earlier, right? Around like these like original IPs that are also becoming massive in nature. Because I think between them and CryptoPunks, they're what, like over 3 billion in market cap right now, right? So I, I'm looking out for that one because I'm just fascinating to watch that process to see what, where it'll go and whether or not it's going to end up in a complete failure as a game. I don't think it matters at this point. I think the initial injection will be really interesting to see. Um, and a couple others that are all, always on my radar just because of their ambition. Um, Star Atlas is one that I, I kind of look at just because, I mean, they came out of the gates, you know, almost acting as like a, a new version of like, a, you know, EVE Online type of thing, but in their own fashion. So I think that one's going to be interesting to watch. But again, not in 2022, probably 
Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say maybe like in you know three to five years we'll maybe we'll maybe see that game. And and then the other one that I I just personally have a thing on is uh, you know Jam Jam Cities, uh, you know uh, you know announcement with uh, Champions uh, Champions Ascension, right? So they mm-hmm. are a very well versed mobile free to play studio that understands those types of mechanics and systems design. They've gone full in on blockchain and they've announced a product and they did a teaser. So it'll be really interesting to see that business case, right? Because I think they have all the tools, they have all the resources, they have all the capital. Uh, and then, you know, could they attract and leverage um, some of the same publishing techniques to kind of grow that business into a, you know, 5, 10, 15 million, you know, DAO type of game? They, they have a good shot at doing it, but we'll see. That's fascinating. I would, uh, I would like to add one sort of annotation, which is... Um... You know, it's been a really good year for crypto gaming or blockchain gaming, right? It's been this year of funding and high-fiving and, oh, my God, let's go to Miami. And it's and it reminds <laughs> me of, like, sort of, like, as a, as a, as a universe, it, you know, it reflects sort of the microcosm of having, doing a startup. And, like, your first year when you, I don't know, leave your corporate job or, you know, get the courage to do something, the first year is this overwhelming honeymoon and everything is exciting and, you know, whatever, you got a new office and you're buying a new computer. That's all very cool. The hard thing, and I'd like to position this just like uh, Jeff Bezos has, uh, it's always day one. It's like year two, that's the hardest year. And I think crypto gaming is entering year two and it's going to be much more hand-to-hand combat. It's going to be about user acquisition. It's going to be about talent acquisition and retention. It's about getting your deliverables out the door, about really creating the community. So all of a sudden, the questions shift from what wallpaper do we want in the in the coffee room to shit, how do we actually get to a million MAUs by the end of this quarter because we need to re-up on our funding, et cetera. So, so I think the, the, the tone is going to change dramatically, and it's going to be really interesting to see who's standing by the end of the year. It's really good. I like that. I'm going to add my own prediction here because I, I, I think uh, you all will make a lot of good points. Um, and so my hypothesis is the following. I think that's... Um, it's going to take a while before we see really fun blockchain games with the emphasis on, on fun. Um, and for that reason, I think um, the, f- the effect, the you know, Ponzi-nomic um, <laughs> effect that we saw with Axie Infinity, where you know, the new entrants actually fund you know, other players pay- making money and them telling their friends who come in. And so th- this kind of flywheel effect, I think, um, is going to be what drives, at least for 2022, most users into blockchain games still, because the fun element is is still, I think, going to be lacking by the end of this year. And for that reason, my money is actually, if I have to pick one company, I think it's still going to be Axie, because I think they'll be able to um, probably like 4x, like bring their their DAUs or MAUs to like 10 to 20 million um, by the end of 2022. That's that's, that's my, my bold take here. But... Uh, I hope to be proven wrong with an amazing game because I'm going to be playing that shit. But um, these, <laughs> this, if I had to put money on it, that's probably uh, where, I, where I'd put it. Um, cool. Moving on. Um, I see like we're, we're, we've been talking for a while already. Um, maybe two more things that we can touch upon. One would be you know brands getting into gaming and crypto gaming more specifically. And then uh, after that, I, Miko had a little point that he wanted to make on... on Transmedia, but we can we can uh, go uh, to that one after after uh, talking about brands. CA, you you th- said you're interesting. Um, how do you see brands within the crypto games space evolve? 
Yeah, I mean, so I mean, uh, just a, like a mythical, right? Like we've done a lot of interesting collaborations, you know, like um, you know, one to one, right? So you know, we've done some things mm-hmm. with like you know the artist Dead Mouse, you know, we've done something with like Burberry, but. I, I think that was just more of, you know, everyone finding good partners to work with. But, you know, with the results and outcomes of those collaborations and the success of them, you're now starting to see that, you know, at scale. And it's becoming a lot more interesting. Like one that I saw recently that fascinated me was you had crypto native folks like um, Bored Apes uh, with another company called like, uh, you know, Pixel Vault uh, that does like the Punks comics. And they did a thing with Adidas that now is going to spawn into a bunch of other things, right? You know, Nike went and just, um, you know, they acquired, what, what's that company called? It's like the um, Artifact, right? Artifact. And so, you know, I think as we move forward and like, you know, you know, celebrities, you know, brands, you know, IPs, you know, just all kind of like intermixing and seeing new possibilities. Um, I think it's great because, uh, you know, you'll get to have all these different powerhouse IPs, you know, original otherwise. Um, just kind of coming up with, you know, new ways of engaging and finding communities and just really, you know, finding, I think, touch points with them. So I'm very bullish on that scene. Um, I, I think it's only going to get better. And then I think over time, you're going to see even more and more of that, which, you know, to be fair, we've also seen to some degree uh, in, you know, you know, this generation's kind of crop of live service games. Like Fortnite has done an incredible job of, you know, leveraging that. Um, so so has like PUBG and Free Fire, I think on the shooter space and so on and so forth. So I think we'll see an extension of that into the blockchain space, um, but a, a lot more, I think, uh, you know, intertwined, if you will. Mm-hmm. The comparison I draw with the passion of some of the individuals in the crypto space that they have for, you know, their NFT collections or their NFT, I think is only rivaled with the strongest brand I know, which is probably Harley Davidson, because that's the only one where people actually tattoo the freaking brand on their body, um, which is, I guess, like as a, as a, as a brand builder, life goal um so uh yeah i totally get it that people want to get into this and find ways to you know attach themselves to these super strong crypto native brands that a lot of young people are super excited for um yeah miko what are your thoughts here yeah so i think i think we're already segueing a little bit into my uh topic but i think for me branding obviously to me it's exciting to see this sort of synthesis, right? Because when you think about celebrities, you think about brands, you think about IP, right? I think, you you know, transmedia is really like this idea that you can have something like an arcane, right? Which is sort of game themed, right? So, you know, and triple A streaming media, like movies, uh, shows, episodes, right? So, uh, you know, I think we're moving towards a blockchain transmedia rather than blockchain gaming, right? And I think that's the kind of final steady state. So, I think really the thing that people see today is they see this tail wagging a dog, right? So gaming is the dog, right? Or at least gaming is the body of the dog, right? And they think the blockchain is just the tail, right? Now, there is a long tail, right? The long tail are these players in the Philippines that are making money playing Axie, right? So the long tail is wagging the dog at the moment. But the thing that they don't understand is that blockchain is like not just the tail, it's the spine, right? Like blockchain is the entire spine of the dog that goes all the way up to the head, right? But the head of the dog is actually the player, right? 
So the idea of player centricity is really what's going to make this, you know, and if you look at the legs, right, the legs of the dog are going to be celebrities and IP and brands and like movies and everything else, right? So the thing that I think happens is, is that we just get to flip the whole thing. And what I mean by we get to flip the whole thing is, is that the user becomes the center of like transmedia, right? And so the user can actually even become the celebrity of a movie you know, if they become sufficiently legendary in the game, right? So, you know, in a sense, the story is becomes under the control of the players. And this becomes a new form of celebrity, a new form of influencer, a new form of streamer, right? And I think that this is kind of the inversion that brings uh, the future, right? So to me, I think people aren't yet seeing the dog, the complete dog, right? I think celebrity, you know, like brand, like... Uh, uh, transmedia, like all of this stuff is the, the full dog, right? And I think that's that's going, you know, so to me, if you go back to World of Warcraft, like, you know, you would do a server first, you get a legendary orange drop, you go to the auction house and you are, you equip your like hunter bow and then you jump around, right? And everyone looks at you, you know, and that lasts maybe about a week, right? So, you know, you you it lasts a week and then like, Pretty soon you have like three hunters jumping around with the bow and then you have 12 and then pretty soon everyone has an orange bow, right? The end, right? But like, what if the result of you downing that boss is actually that you yourself become legendary and you actually become, your name becomes the hero of a, of a movie that gets onto Netflix, you know? And, and, and so like, that's, that's the dog, you know? So to me, like true blockchain transmedia is where we're going. I think gaming is the body. Right. So the gaming is the most important, probably significant part of, of this dog. But like, you know, people think blockchain is just the tail, but it's the whole spine. Wow. I found that absolutely fascinating. And I have a very weird dog in my head right now. But uh, I really love that, Miko. Thanks. Um, <laughs> Jos, what's your take here? So I, I agree with a lot of that because I say it's the, um, but so when it comes to brands uh, entering the space, they'd be stupid not to. Right, uh, for all the obvious reasons that have nothing to do with blockchain, uh, you know, traditional channels are eroding. You know, eight-year-olds of this world they don't watch broadcast TV, so uh, good luck reaching them through anything other than uh, you know things like Twitch and YouTube. And but there is no real like even Twitch is sort of like crappy at uh, formulating a solid revenue and business model around it where you can really measure these things and so on. So. I think what's going to happen is that there's going to be a lot more money put into R&D by creative agencies, by brands, and they're going to, you know, musicians are already doing it. Uh, some of the fashion brands are doing it, of course. Nike acquired Artifact. Like it's, you start to see these expressions of like, okay, how can you be uh, as a brand in a this scattered digital universe, which is another way of avoiding the term metaverse, obviously, but uh, is, you know, how do you reach the consumers that you want and 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 how does that materialize itself? And you know, people are they like to be fans of things. And I think uh, to Mika's point, it's like the celebrity of the consumer. I think might be a, a, a key channel to accomplish that. Right? Where in the same way that Spotify has playlists, and you will stumble upon someone who has, just happens to have a really good playlist, and it's just some other person who also has a Spotify. It's nobody special. It's not a DJ. They just have a cool selection of like whatever you're into. So the same thing I think can happen in a game space. Um, and I say that because as Miko was talking, I'm thinking of like uh, arcades in the eighties and you would have that like list of high scores. And if you are at the top of that list, 
you were like the big deal at the local arcade, right? And so you in blockchain, I guess you have that sort of immutable, you know, permanent record is ledger of like who's the best one here. I think that there's going to be something to say for that. And esports may be somewhat of a soft precursor to that, but just like everyday people just having a good time and that being consumed or enjoyed and shared with other people and therefore also brands, I think that that nexus is going to be more pronounced uh, and, you know, funded because again, like brands would be stupid not to like, they, I think missed the boat in so many ways when it came to like, you know, web two, when Amazon and Facebook really took front and said, like they took the initiative and everybody else sort of just followed. But when it comes to a digital strategy, five, 10 years ago, it worked out okay because it was sort of an extension of like physical retail into online retail. I think they've learned whether that's music labels or fashion brands that they need to be much more actively involved in the actual building of that universe to that next iteration uh, to reach the consumers, but to also have a more authentic uh, connection engagement. And ultimately of course, like actually something to say about where, where they fit as a brand. So they'd be stupid not to. Yeah. It's um it's a fascinating take and the, and um I've already said this and this is not completely related with the blockchain but my vision for the future of of transmedia in this case was that you know I'm I'm playing a game with a certain character and I level it up and then I stop playing my game and I go sit behind my TV and I watch a series and the character that I was playing is actually being used within the series that I'm watching yeah I, I totally want to springboard off that right because you know we we you did mention League of Legends and like Riot is definitely one to watch right and the thing that I think is interesting from that perspective is you know if you watch kind of like worlds, right, what you're going to see is you're going to see that they're already doing things with the camera, right? So when you see like a pentakill, right, what they're going to do is they're going to start moving the camera, right? And they're actually, you're actually getting like super, it's movie quality, what you're seeing, right? You're seeing a kill shot and then it's like, boom, you know, and you're just watching the cinematic quality experience of this kill shot, right? Which is sort of rendered post facto. And it's like a very nicely done kind of trick of cameras. Right. But like, to me, like that is definitely, and the thing that's happening is, is, oh, but it's during a, uh, Red Bull Baron buff. Right. So it's sort of like, oh, the brand is there. The transmedia is there. The cinematic is there. Like everything is there. Right. So, I mean, we're definitely seeing the, the very thin edges of this. Right. And it's just doesn't have the spine of this economic power that is the blockchain. Right. So it's sort of the dog it's a it's a weird dog it's a spineless dog kind of an amoeba you know it has all the legs but you know but it maybe doesn't have the uh cent- jellyfish the central nervous system yeah exactly it's a i don't know it's a it's a mutant jellyfish dog hybrid <laughs> <laughs> you and your dog man <laughs> All right, that's good. Um, with that, so that that's the end of this, the first part. And at the end, you know, you know what we're doing: <clears throat> bold predictions. Um, so I'll ask you guys to do a bold prediction about blockchain games. It's very broad, so um, I, I let you guys go wild in, in your predictions, and I'm very curious what you come up with. CA, so, yeah, you can uh, you can go first. Uh, going first. All right, let's see. Um, I don't know if it's going to be a bold prediction or not. I I think we're going to see. Well, I, I guess I guess what I'm hoping to see, uh, which is my prediction, is that um, DAOs as we know it today, I think they're going to evolve pretty fast, um, and th- I think they're going to be the ones to really, you know, take take initiative in actually building out the games that we want, not the other way around right now, because it's usually, hey, somebody's going to come up with the concept, you know, we build this thing, and then once we build the thing, we're going to build it down. And afterwards, they get to then, you know, influence said game. I think it's going to be the other way around. 
I think there's going to be um, a ability for a bunch of nameless, uh, you know, uh, you know, trustless individuals coming together, forming a DAO to go build a game that they all want to go play because they all have that intrinsic motivation. I think that's going to happen this year, or at least we'll see one, if not many, different variants of that type of DAO. I think something like that's going to form this year in 2022. Love that. You should you should join us in the loot down square every week where we discuss exactly that. I I it's, actually uh, jokingly <laughs> call that pattern uh, game yeah. shipped by bag holders, but uh, you know maybe that's a that's a maybe that's our different take. Yeah, <laughs> literally. <laughs> Miko, your turn. Yeah, so uh, you know, to me, the thing that I really want to kind of underscore is that, like, what is what? What do I mean when I say transmedia, right? And what I mean by transmedia is the dog is wagging the tail, right? And because here's the difference: traditional studios. You guys remember the World of Warcraft movie? Like, how bad was that, right? Like, it's so insulting, right? And that that's clearly like sure. some that's the paw of the dog wagging the whole dog, right? Like, you know, to me, the thing that's important is that these individual silos of media don't kind of dominate the most important thing, right? And the most important thing is really the player. That's why I think it's interesting that the player becomes legendary, you know. And if you look at something like Arcane, that's actually respectful, right? Like it's it's actually a movie or a series that's respectful of the game, right? And that's why people who are gamers actually enjoy that, right? So they're they're not offended by this, right? So to me, like that's a new discipline, right? So I, I think we're going to see this year as a prediction, we're going to see kind of more and more of the dog wagging the tail, right? So we're going to see more and more of this kind of beneficial uh, sort of mutually supportive ecosystem of, uh, different uh, component media components, so, you know, mutually supportive, as opposed to kind of parasitic, right? Where if you look at the World of Warcraft movie, totally parasitic, right? They made a ton of money. They're like, oh, this will sell in the box office in China, you know. But like, it didn't. It didn't help the game. So you know, I, I think that's that's really synergistic. Means you know, your player that did the first server first, you know, is actually now inside the game. And that legendary status, it's almost like a cross between esports and like uh, American Idol, right? So, so you know, that that will create the frenzy. It's a good prediction. I like it. I like it. Joost, no you, sir. Um, let me, uh, so I find this all very, I, I, I agree with both of these uh, predictions. So while they're optimistic, because they're optimistic, I'll go the other way. I'll Good. be the skeptic and say it's all going to go to shit, <laughs> and and it's going to, <laughs> and it's and it's going to do that because of uh, regulators. It's going to go there because the the industry is cash rich and talent poor, right? There isn't a lot of people, and I mean, you know, I'm not including myself in this bunch here, but Biko and the CA are like the type of people that you know they sit in one place, they see an opportunity, and then move on to it. Uh, you know, innovators, they have this particular mindset. And so I think it's going to take a while for the industry as a whole, whether that's gaming or other forms of entertainment, to really come up with the talent to put some wheels under this technology and make this work. And the first websites were garbage, right? Uh, by the time uh, uh, Friendster is not the same as Facebook. And so you kind of have to wonder, like, we're probably entering our like MySpace year in 2022 when it comes to mm. blockchain gaming. And so I was like, you know, is that going to be great? It's like, well, there's going to be a lot of people like suing for like rights over music. And so, so I think there's going to be a lot of sharp edges that we're going to run into 100 miles an hour. 
and it's going and you're going to see sort of the chaff uh, separating uh, from everything else in that n- not everybody's going to survive it in fact i think a lot of the companies that are you know go into art basil today and showing off all of their you know nft drops and how cool they are they're going to be looking for jobs <laughs> by december uh, purely because you know it's like we're entering the more serious stage of 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 of, of you know, transitioning the the internet from web two to web three like this is the core application of that new promise and there's going to be so many eyes on this so much uh, you know criticism and pushback just from parents from regulators from politicians from just you know all of those reasons so i think there's going to be a lot of uh, uh, uh you know broken dreams on this boulevard <laughs> and as a result you know the, the the real companies that create value will, will separate themselves but yeah, which will of course result into some of the positive things like i think building things like a DAO come together to build a game that they want a priori right that you that's the design or um you know really have true synergies i think that's going to be the kind of uh, insulated strategies that are going to sustain but like throwing something on the wall and, and hope it works because everybody's getting rich now i think that's the stupid idea to to have to go into this year and so we'll see a lot of uh, a lot of uh, broken dreams all right so listener if you take away one thing from from this podcast don't let it be what yours just said get get miko's <laughs> dog in your head Get out now! Get out. No, think, Invest in gold. Th- think about the dog that's wagging the tail. Okay, with weird, without pause for now, but uh, we'll get there. Um, all right, that um, that was great. Thank you guys. So, CA Miko Superiorst, thanks for joining. This was this was awesome, listener. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, feel free to uh, leave us a, a, a like and uh, share with your friends. Um, and with that. The Metacast is out and we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Cheers.